0: Welcome to Unprecedented Nursing During a Pandemic. This podcast is a collaboration presented by LaBourette College, a leader in nursing and healthcare education, and William James College, a leader in psychology and mental health education. The series brings together nurses and psychologists for conversations about key issues that nurses and healthcare professionals are facing every day as the result of the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Episode
2: 1 of Unprecedented Nursing During a Pandemic explores loss and grief. This episode is presented in 3 parts. This is part 1. My name is Gabrielle Mahoney. I'm a family nurse practitioner. I specialize in palliative and hospice care. I'm part of this podcast about nursing amid constant loss and grief and how to manage loss for nurses, patients and families in relation to the recent and ongoing COVID crisis.
1: And I'm Jody Kleiman, uh, and I'm delighted to be here with uh, Gabe. And uh, I am a professor of clinical psychology at William James College. And I also have a private practice in uh, largely focusing on trauma work that I've had for about 35 years at this point. Uh, I also have done trauma work in the public sector, including in medical settings. The name of our podcast is Nursing Well Amid Constant Loss and Grief, Managing Loss for Nurses, Patients, and Families.
2: I'd like to set the stage a little bit about what issues nurses and healthcare providers as a whole have been dealing with. Dealing with throughout this pandemic, in my other role, um, I have my palliative care role, but I also am a clinical instructor at Labore for nursing students. And the timing of the pandemic was also halfway between our clinical semester, so we had about six in-person clinicals, and then my fundamentals group, unfortunately, could no longer be at the clinical site so the remaining clinical time was done on computer so there was certainly a sense of loss with that group moving to the hospital setting i work in a suburban hospital with 3 to 400 beds depending on the census we have a pretty busy hospital we are often quite full In preparation or in response to the COVID-19 crisis, we were one of the first hospitals in the area to limit visitation of families. And at first, there was a kind of a a chatter amongst the staff that this may be a good thing because sometimes families can be very demanding. And I don't think that anyone fully understood what was going to happen next. Uh, Nurses were gearing up for this. We were hearing about lack of equipment and PPE, um, rationing of masks. So there was certainly some concern amongst the staff there. Practices that we hadn't seen in the past in terms of reusing what used to be single-use items such as N95 masks. That was new to us. And then things really started to hit and nurses were doing their best to care for their patients with different stressors than they'd ever had before. There weren't families to sit in the rooms with patients and help care for them. They couldn't spend long time with their patients to try to reorient them and to help them because of risk of exposure. People were isolating themselves from their families to avoid potentially infecting them with this virus. Their level of stress walking through each unit was palpable the question how are you which is something we ask all the time became a very loaded question people were crying at times in the hallway other people kind of shut down the bubbly nurses that i'd worked with in the past were somewhat somber and overwhelmed as a palliative care consultant i see Patients on all the different units. So I had an opportunity to see how the culture changed on each unit. I would say at the beginning of the crisis, when we weren't at max capacity, staff was kind of excited to embrace this hero role that was lauded throughout the news. And we're going to do this and we're going to make a difference and we've got this. And there was a certain energy when you walked onto units particularly in the ICU, which was the heaviest COVID unit for the longest time. I will say as the weeks dragged on, people began to feel less confident in what was going to happen or what the results would be. Part of that was seeing a lot of death. Part of that was not really being content with their role in this crisis. So now we're trying to process it all. And one of the things we're really looking at is what losses people have experienced both personally and professionally and in all other ways. And how do we move forward in a healthy way? And what are some of the coping strategies? So that would be kind of a loaded question all in one. I think one of the questions is, you know, how do we acknowledge the grief and sadness that people have gone through during this pandemic. That's kind of my starting point, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really helpful setting the stage. And, um, you, you raise so many questions that, um, that I, I want to respond to, but, um, l- let me start with the, the, how do you manage the grief? And, uh, And do you even always recognize, or does one always recognize that there's grief when, as a nurse, you're so busy trying to keep people alive or at least keep people comfortable and keep families informed and do so many things above and beyond what you would normally have to do in such great numbers? Uh, It can be really, really hard to even give yourself the space to feel your feelings. And grief that doesn't get felt in the moment often comes out sideways and every which way and in anger and um, substance abuse and um, anger at oneself for not being able to save people and anger at higher ups for any obstacles nurses may see being created, sometimes by their management, sometimes by state or federal government, sometimes, who knows what, you know, various nursing regulations or medical regulations. And um, so the first step is to recognize this is a grievous situation. And um, it's okay to feel great grief, that um, you know, people don't go into nursing if they don't have a heart. They, they don't go into nursing uh, to make huge bucks. They go into nursing in order to um, make a difference in people's lives, to heal people, to often to save people, uh, and to give them comfort. And when you can't successfully do that on the scale we're talking about with COVID-19, Uh, That's pretty devastating uh, to uh, any individual medical clinician. Uh, And not only nurses, of course, but your colleagues, doctors, respiratory therapists, the the LPNs, the the aides, all of those people, even the the people who are providing food and and cleaning uh, and answering phones are on that team of people who are invested in the lives of patients. And um, it's quite devastating. And um, I should say my my stepdaughter is a nurse and she used to be for quite a few years an emergency room nurse. And while she never uh, of course shared private, um, uh, you know, HIPAA protected information, she did share with me often her pain when somebody died that she didn't think should have had to die. That they didn't get to the hospital fast enough or the, the clinicians didn't understand what was going on quickly enough for whatever reason or there was an underlying vulnerability people didn't know about or there was a mistake. And um, that uh, was always so hurtful to her. And that happened one by one, as opposed to five or six people dying at the same time on that a single sense. unit.
2: Yeah, I think it's a lot. It's for a lot to
1: manage. It's a lot for anyone to manage. It really is, and um, uh, I I really appreciate nurses not being so sure they want to take on that hero mantle because um, you can never feel like you can live up to that. But it does take a certain degree of uh, guts and grit and stamina uh, and um, a value system to stick with something which is so unrelentingly painful. I think the first order of business is to acknowledge that um, unless you have among you a nurse who has lived in a war zone or worked in a war zone or perhaps worked in the early days of AIDS when people were dropping like flies as very young people or maybe doing Ebola work in um, one of the African countries that's been hit. If you haven't been in one of those situations or you haven't lived through famine, then this is not something American people tend to imagine, that there can be this sort of mass, e- even you know people who've dealt with mass casualties, the World Trade Center, uh, I live in Boston, you're in, in Boston, Gabe, so the, the marathon bombing where there were many, or any school shooting, that, where there's many, many people killed and injured, but it's still not at this scale. and we know what to do
2: we know what to do with those cases that's right you know we're what what is the expression i heard a lot of people saying we're building the plane while we're flying it
1: right that's such such an important point that that you can reach for your area of competence. you know and if you're at the marathon bombing well you know how to protect uh, somebody who's bleeding out you know what to do with that that's Um, I mean, even I know what to do with that, and I'm not a nurse, although I couldn't do it as well as you could. And this is really different because the information you have is changing all the time. There's things that you didn't know as nurses at the beginning of this pandemic that you know now, and there'll be more that you know when the next wave comes than you know now. But it still never is going to feel like enough. So... Again, number one is how do you allow yourself grief in the moment? And my, my thinking is that you have, you have a dilemma as nurses because in the moment what you have to do is function. This is just like soldiers have the same uh, situation. When you're in a very dangerous situation, uh, your two choices are to rise to the occasion or to fall apart at the seams. And you can't afford to fall apart at the seams. That's a very, very dangerous thing to do. So you function. And then the question is what happens when you get five minutes for lunch uh, or to go to the bathroom and you find yourself crying in the bathroom stall and unable to eat lunch because you just, you can't find the stomach for it. Um, That's when there, we're gonna later, in this broadcast will talk about what do you do. Uh, that's what we're going to end with, is what do you do? Because I, I don't want to uh, add despair further to what people are already feeling. So we're going to end with that. I want people to know that. But that is, that's the working dilemma. Uh, you entered the field you're in because human life matters so much to you. And You're seeing human life slip away that's deeply, deeply grievous, tragic, and particularly hurtful when you think somebody might have been saved if the field knew more, or if they'd come sooner to the hospital, they hadn't been told by a clinician, oh, I think you're going to be all right, wait another couple of days and call if things get worse and people end up calling again when it's already too late. And those things are very, very painful. I did a lot of reading about this um, when the pandemic was still mostly in China and Europe and was reading about clinicians breaking down because there weren't ventilators enough, uh, rigging the ventilators to serve two people at the same time or three people at the same time and it still wasn't enough and of course at the time we didn't know what you have discovered since which is if people survive after an extended time on the ventilator they're not who they were before the ventilator they've lost a great deal of function mental and physical so this is all stuff this is all knowledge that you carry I'm not a nurse and it makes me want to cry. So think about that. Then the question becomes, where can you find the time so that you can cry or rage or talk about it or support a friend who hits that wall maybe half an hour before you do and um, because they've watched a death that was particularly hard for them or they had to um, say to a, a loved one that it, it, this, you can't talk to them right now. And no, of course you can't be here. For me, the question is how you, how you manage those griefs and there's other, you, you raised other areas of grief too. There's grief over people dying alone Um, You said sometimes at at the beginning it looked like it might be better without families there, only uh, you discovered uh, what many hospitals in other countries have always known, which is that families are very important facilitators in many ways. The families know the patient.
2: And I think the patients, a lot of them did not have a voice because they were intubated. Mm -hmm. A lot of the conversations, I had a lot of goals of care conversations with families using an iPad and a Zoom, much like we're using now. And they're looking at their loved one on a ventilator. Mm -hmm. We had people who were trained to help facilitate that communication because the nurses simply could not spend, you know, 15 to 20 minutes holding an iPad. Mm -hmm so that the family could see their loved one. And they played music, they sang to them, they, you know, read them letters. I mean, very touching, heartfelt things. Mm -hmm. And I think having people help with that was beneficial for the nurses as well. But then it also took away some of the identity of that patient for them, because that rich time with the family wasn't necessarily able to be part of their nursing care at that time.
1: And I think that's such an important point. You know, I'm, I'm thinking um, uh, I, I had several losses in my family right before COVID hit, actually three deaths in three months in my oh, family. Gosh. It I'm was, a, I thought it would be better in 2020, who knew? Wow. And, <laughs> um, and I'm thinking about one of those deaths, which was um, of my uh, brother-in-law, and he was uh, he He's seriously demented at the very end uh, of his illness, and he really needed his family to um, support him and to speak for him in that moment. And there were things that he did not understand about what was going on with his treatment and things he was saying that the nurses had no way to interpret. They were things only the family would know. Yeah. So um, I will say that he, he had the last days of his life in a palliative care unit in um, a major hospital and um, the nurses were enormously important in um, that end of life care emotionally as well as medically and partly that was because we could give those nurses information about what would be soothing to my brother-in-law when we were not there. And there's not a big local family, so that was important uh, that those nurses were there. And when you're losing that function, it's such an important point that you therefore lose a bit of the humanity of that patient. That makes the grieving even more complicated because if you had one significant conversation with a patient before they die, then that's something you can actually hold on to and you can do, if family wasn't present at the time, what a service to the family you're rendering when you say, this is what your mother, this is what your sister, this is what your cousin said to me. He told me how much he loves you all. He told me what good daughters he had. And um, that that is something that could be, shared is helpful I think for the nurses we always feel better when we can help somebody else right yeah
2: when we can do something when there's something tangible yeah I think it definitely feels better and when you have when you can demonstrate that you have some type of relationship or rapport with that person I think the family also hears the value and respect that you have for their loved one so it becomes a mutual exchange
1: Yes. And then the family can also relax a little bit and think, yes, my loved one is well cared for. They care about him or her. Um, I, I don't have to be so on guard. Right. Every minute. That's a great service in addition to the clinical work that you're doing. And when you can't do that, that is a loss to everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to Unprecedented, Nursing During a Pandemic. If you found this information helpful, please share the podcast with your community. If you have suggestions for a future episode, please let us know. A link is provided in the podcast description. This podcast does not take the place of individual advice from a licensed mental health professional or medical doctor. Please seek support if you are struggling to cope with ongoing stress or negative thoughts please call your local emergency room. If you or someone you know is suicidal or in emotional distress, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-800-273-TALK. The number again is 1-800-273-8255. Again, thank you very much for listening. We wish you health during this unprecedented time.